When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Old Behave. I am your host, Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. Today we have a guest, Maximus Pepperkin, who is the founder of Sound Verbal Behavior Academy and the originator of Sound Verbal Behavior. Um, he's a very special guest because he's going to be introducing to us the ideas of sound verbal behavior and noxious verbal behavior. Um, this is in the tradition of being a true scientist. Maximus is, um, has observed some, uh, some things and seeks to offer uh, inclusion and continuation of the amazing research that the giants who've, that have come before us have brought. And so um, these ideas are ideas that need to be explored. And I urge you to, to listen carefully to Maximus. And if you're interested in talking with him, reach out to him at uh, the Sound Verbal Behavior Academy, um, which you can find on Facebook. And I'm sure there's other places. I'll let Maximus speak for himself from here. So uh, welcome, Maximus. Thank you for joining us. And uh, please tell us a little bit about your story. Thank you so much, Brian. It is such a pleasure to talk with you and to this has been a long time coming and, and to be able to, um, yeah, to have this opportunity to, to make a, a recording, to make a podcast on which I will then, uh, yeah, you could say explain and uh, um, yeah, explore together with you um, what this difference is between these two ways of talking. And um, yeah. I, I would love to, because um, we've talked quite a bit, and yeah. and we've actually tried recording this podcast three times before, and and had issues every time. But this is finally it. Here we are, try number four. Um, but uh, could you first tell us a little bit about yourself and what led up to you discovering um, yeah. sound verbal and noxious verbal behavior? Okay, so so um, I am um, uh, this year. I will be sixty-two years old. And um, I come originally. From, I come originally. Thank you. I come <laughs> originally from the Netherlands, and I immigrated to the United States in 1999. And um, my wife is Chinese American, and as you can see, these little knickknacks that I have on the wall here. Here, that beautiful. Do you see that plaque there? That yeah. is actually a a a, a prize that was won by my father-in-law who who was a amateur photographer oh actually this is a picture of his is he made pictures like that you know oh wow uh, those are beautiful and anyways uh i was very fond of my father-in-law he is no longer with us but um he still uh he still has his effect on me mm. and um I uh, have been married for a long time, uh, 33 years, I believe, and I don't have children. Um, but um, in my relationship with my wife, I um, we went just like any other couple through many different uh, phases. And um, I actually never thought I was going to be married in my life to begin with. <laughs> but 
somehow we got married and and uh, and and then the question was like are we going to have kids and we decided not to have children mm-hmm. because at that time i was still you could say so much affected by yeah some past trauma that i had been struggling with that i did not feel confident to be a father or to be responsible to for a family and i felt really bad uh to sort of say like well you know i do not really feel like wanting to have children but at the same time it was also the right decision and so my wife said no it's all right we won't have children and so we are happily married and um we don't have children but what came out of our marriage is actually the topic of what we are talking about yeah because we had of course many different arguments and fights just like any other couple mm. but we came to a point where it became clear that either we really talk with each other or we don't <laughs> yeah and even though i had of course my troublesome history with my family she did not um uh i had many uncertainties she did not um in many ways she was always kind of ahead of me and i felt bad about that but at the same time um we were close with each other and we kept on going with each other and i begin to yeah you could say heal if you want to call it that mm-hmm. i began to understand my history and um when i immigrated to the united states in 1999 i went back to school and i studied psychology initially of course we were first went to college in holland i was never a good student <laughs> i was kind of a very mediocre student but when i came to the united states i became a very yeah motivated and 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 a responsible student and i got a's and i i really wanted to do it right and so i kept on studying and studying and i was interested in psychology and i went to a graduate school in the bay area to palo alto university where i almost reached my phd and i was advanced to candidacy mm-hmm. uh, but then my dear father-in-law my wife's dad died after a short sick bed he had brain cancer and uh, there was no way to save him and um and and that you know was a moment in time where i was in my graduate study and where i was doing my clinical hours i had already advanced to candidacy i was writing on my dissertation i was writing my dissertation on attachment issues as related to unresolved loss and here i was myself a person with yeah you could say a trauma history uh, who became an expert in that sense in my study in clinical psychology dealing with trauma clients and people with yeah severe mental health issues and i was writing this dissertation about unresolved loss and here i was all of a sudden thrown for a loop because who could have known that this uh, sudden passing of my father-in-law which by the way 
was the most profound experience that I've ever had in my entire life. It was, it was just, even though it was sad, it was a beautiful and phenomenal experience to be near his death with my wife's Chinese family and um, unforgettably beautiful experience. And I feel forever grateful that I have married with my Chinese wife and that we are now here in Chico, that I studied psychology. Even though I withdrew from that PhD study, after I withdrew from this study, <laughs> I came back to Chico. We lived in the Bay Area and it was unaffordable to, I don't know, to continue. And we had already so much time and I had to redo a practicum and I fell behind on my dissertation. All kind of stuff happened. But I withdrew with a master's of science in clinical psychology and then once back in Chico, we kind of got back on our feet, started working again. And then I became, in 2013, I became a psychology instructor at Butte College, uh, where I teach every semester three classes in, yeah, in, in clinical psychology or in principles of psychology, social psychology or abnormal psychology. There are various topics in psychology that I can teach. Yeah. And... And all my students are enjoying my teaching. I enjoy teaching. And I enjoy the fact that I have not become a clinical psychology, that I actually became a teacher. But the most important thing also is that while I was out of my graduate study, I discovered B.F. Skinner and I discovered the behaviorism and realized like, wow, so this, this, this thing that I had been carrying with me since my mid-twenties, actually, because it was in my mid-twenties that there was a circumstance in which I was having so many problems with so many people mm -hmm. that I, at some point, just basically said, I just don't want this anymore. I don't want to talk with anybody. I don't want to talk in the way that people talk with me. I just don't want that. I just don't want that. It doesn't serve any purpose for me. It, I'd rather be alone. Okay, well, that is, of course, a decision. But then what? <laughs> yeah. Um, in that isolation, in that sense of, of, of uh, yeah, you could say despair, because it was also really having to do with me not feeling at all successful and me being... Um, yeah, searching for what I actually wanted and also me almost divorcing or, uh, you know, being cross with my wife and splitting up. Somehow we discovered that there is this way of talking and there was a moment, it was a real seminal moment mm. in which I began to discover that I can listen to my own sound while I speak. Of course, I had already been singing. I had actually studied classical singing for about seven years. Oh, wow. And I was studying classical singing every day. I was singing opera arias and songs. And I was listening, of course, to my voice because, yeah, as a singer, as a tenor, you want to sing nicely, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was performing and I was good at it. And I was accepted in the conservatorium at a relative late age. 
And, um, but also in the conservatorium, oddly, I was in the conservatorium for one year and I withdrew from there mm. because I just, I really didn't like it. I, I was there and I, I loved singing, but I did not want to study all this music theory and blah, 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 blah. I just wanted to sing, but I only got one and a half hour of singing lessons per week. And, wow. there, was a, and there was a man who was my singing teacher and I didn't like that man. And so, but he was assigned to me and I had to work with that man. And I just thought that, no, this is not working. So anyway, I withdrew from that. And then at some point, yeah, you know, have I ever showed you the gong, Brian? I haven't seen the gong yet. Oh, gosh. Can I demonstrate <laughs> on today's conversation? The sure. <laughs> yeah. That'd be fun. Okay. Well, well, okay. Let me. And please ask me anything you like, you know. I know that this is a big story, but it, you just got to believe me that this has really happened. Well, it's, so and I, it's, well, it's foundational. It's, it's, it's kind of leads up to that important thing, the, yeah. that idea of sound yeah. verbal behavior, and it's opposite. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you, for, thank you for giving me the, uh, the, uh, the prompt and the, <laughs> you know, you're doing that really good. Thank you. No, so 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 I had been singing. I withdrew from the singing, which, by the way, withdrawing from the singing career because I thought that I was going to be a professional singer, actually, and I was really that good, also, and everybody loved it, and and I got a lot of love, which before I did not have because I was doing the singing and I gave performances, and everybody loved it. Even my parents loved it. Even my father, my abusive father, loved it, <laughs> and um. So when I withdrew from there, it was also kind of like a loss, like a period of like mourning, like mm. you had separated yourself from the singing environment where there was a lot of reinforcement and a lot of people happy about you. And all of a sudden I was not singing anymore. I was not doing that anymore. And I just said, yeah, I could go on with that singing, but I, I want something else. I knew there was something else I wanted and I had to leave the singing in order to free myself up to go there and to discover that or to explore that. But at that point, I had no idea where, what it was. And so I was lost. Literally, I was lost. I was not mentally ill or anything like that. I don't consider myself of ever having suffered really depression or, or, or other uh, mental health uh, um, uh, diagnosis or so. I never took any medication or I never took any drugs. Um, um, although, of course, just as a person from the Netherlands, of course, uh, you know, in the past, I've done my fair amount of smoking weed or <laughs> you know, that is what a lot yeah. of people do in their young years. And many of them who are still there are still doing it. <laughs> you know, I moved on from that. Um, but um, as I was f coming out of this singing yeah, you could say rush because it was really also a rush. I guess mm. there was people who were cheering me on and I was, you know, every time you succeed, it's it's a success and you just love it and you perform in, in a little castle or in a, in a beautiful uh, uh, scene where people were applauding for you and stuff. Anyway, I was not going to continue with it. And... Uh, and I, and I was really at a loss. I did not know what I was doing, where I was going. My wife at that time had, had achieved an MBA, Masters of Business 
administration in the Netherlands, and she was a very important person at uh, the place, the, the Rotterdam School of Management, which is a, uh, one of the biggest business, business schools of Europe. And uh, she had a very important uh, position there and was often totally busy with her work. And I, I felt like such a loser. I felt like so, f such a failure. And, um, and I was just really like, yeah, what am I going to do? And I was just going on my daily, I don't know, Mom, what is it? Visit to here or that place and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And but at the same time, also feeling frustrated with how I was treated by people, generally speaking. And I was also feeling frustrated, of course, about myself, about what I had achieved or where am I going? What am I doing? So I felt worried also, primarily worried and, 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 and unresolved. But I was riding my bicycle. In Holland, people ride a lot of bicycles. I was riding my bicycles along a canal. Mm -hmm. And I was going on my bicycle and I just go like, where are you going, Maximus? What are you going to do? Mm. Where are you heading? So you want to see these people again or hang out with them and talk with them or feel the same way as you already done before? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. And I don't even want to see these people. Why am I even going there? I have nothing better to do. Why don't you just don't do it? And it was really a moment in time where I realized I could not do anymore what I had been doing before, basically. And what happened here is, is, is I think, especially if there's any Dutch people listening to me, it's especially significant for Dutch people to understand this. For a Dutch people to stop riding your bicycle is like... What? <laughs> you stopped riding your bicycle? Yes, I started to slow down pedaling my bicycle and I really did not want to go. And at a certain moment, I was just standing still next to the canal. I was ready to throw my bicycle in the water. <laughs> I said, but now what? You're just standing here and you're going nuts or something? I said, no, I'm not going nuts. You just don't want to do this anymore, okay? Okay, well, okay, well, then, then go back home then and, 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 and take it from there. All right, well, we'll go back home. And I walked with my bicycle in my hand. I did not ride my bicycle. I walked with my bicycle in my hand, which is highly unusual for me. I walked all the way back with my bicycle in my hand. And as I came to my, close to my home, the bridge was open which is kind of like a drawbridge. And there was a oh, whole, the go under. There, was, there, was, there was a whole line of cars waiting and it oh. took forever for this bridge to close again. And I was just standing there and waiting and it was like, oh, and this, there, was this, there, was, there was this two of these big boats that were there slowly, slowly coming by, you know, and it was like, and another boat coming by. And I just got like, oh, God, I felt like jumping in the water myself. And I just thought, like, what the heck am I doing here? I'm going, no, no, no. You just wait until the bridge is closed again. 
and then you go home. I live right across from the bridge, and I go home, and I go to my house, and I go, I lived in a house, and we rented an apartment, actually, with two wonderful, sweet, older people. She was an ex-nun, and um, she she actually stopped being a nun at some point when she became a school teacher. Mm. A really sweet old lady, uh, Arnie Frankenmuller was her name. Arnie, by the way, her same name as my mother. Oh, and, wow. And uh, and and uh, Frank, uh, 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 Henry was her husband. Henry was a very odd gentleman, to say the least. He was really like some sort of a British lord type of guy, who who was always wearing very nice jackets with ties and stuff like that. And he had a big grand piano in his in his living room, and he was always playing the piano really good. And um, but Annie and Henry. We, we rented from them. They were the kindest people. They had married later on in life. Mm. He was a photographer also. Interesting, interesting connection that he yeah. was a photographer and my wife's father was also a photographer, although it was not professionally work for him. But in any case, uh, they go like, what's going on? I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just not feeling well. I said, oh, you hope you feel better. And they were always kind. They were always kind. I could always come and sit with them and they would give me treats or I don't know. They were like grandparents to me. They were just such sweet people. Actually, at an at a old age, in their 80s, they went with a camper and with a car. They drove all the way to Scandinavia and back. The two of them. In a camper, can you believe that? That's just so outrageous awesome. for these old people, you know. Anyways, the Frankenmollers is so nice to think of them. They they used to live above us in the in the attic, <laughs> and we lived on the first floor, but they could no longer uh, uh, walk the stairs, and so they had recently moved out of the attic, and they were living downstairs, uh. and um, and the attic was empty. And so as I moved to my apartment, I just said, what am I going to do here? Well, let's go sit in the attic. The attic is empty. <laughs> and, you know, I, at that time in my life also, of course, I was busy, just like so many other people, busy with meditation and I don't know, <laughs> becoming enlightened and all that kind of stuff, you know. And so I thought, like, well, you know, I'm going to sit in this attic and, I don't know, if Buddha sat under a tree and became enlightened uh, while sitting under the tree, why shouldn't I just sit in my attic and, I don't know, maybe until I see the light or something like that. There was nothing in this attic. The attic was totally empty, just carpet on the floor. And um, I was just sitting there and I was bored out of my brain. Of course, I was not meditating at all. I was just restless and I was worried and I was... I go, oh my God, what am I going to do? And how long can I just keep sitting here before I just go nuts? And I said, well, you know, you're not going nuts. The roof's not going to cave in. You're just sitting here. It's going to be okay. You'll mm -hmm. figure something out. You'll, you'll go on with something else. And um, I had already done so many things. You know, I had, I had, I've had many, many jobs. I mean, <laughs> it sounds really ridiculous, but I've had many, many jobs. I, uh, uh, the last one, the last job that I had, I, I'm actually also a certified gardener and landscaper. Oh, wow. 
And so my last job was actually, I was, I was the gardener of the Queen of the Netherlands. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's fantastic. I was, I, was, I was working at the estate of the Queen of the Netherlands. Now they have a king there, but that was the queen. But anyway, that's another story. I was the lands. I was I was the gardener of the Queen of the Netherlands. I was a greenkeeper. I was, of course, professional gardener and landscaper. But I was also a singer, and um, and I, I worked in a big department store and a toy department or on the lamp department that sold lamps. <laughs> I did all sorts of things. In any case, um, at that time. I didn't want to do anything of these jobs anymore. Yeah. And I, I, I said, no, what are you going to do, man? And then so I sit in this attic and I look around and all of a sudden I see in the corner underneath the roof, there is this box. And I say, oh, there's this box. Let's see what's in it. They left this box here and um, must belong to them. And so I pull this box closer and there was a bunch of old books in there, you know, old, old, old books, not, not anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I pick out this, hold on a second, just a moment. No problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, here. Then all of a sudden I pick out this gong. Do you see this? Yeah. This is the gong. And, and if you can see the back, do you see these spots? Yeah, I do. Frank and Mola, old Frank and Mola used it as an ashtray for his cigar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I pick out this gong and I say, oh, wow, a gong. And I think, well, is there also a stick with a ball? And lo and behold, here it is. Yeah. There, this stick. I found this gong and this stick in that box at that time. And well, what does one do when one picks up a gong like this with a stick like this? One hits the gong. Yeah. And I heard the sound and I said, that sounds good. That sounds good. And because of my singing, because I had listened to my sound while singing, I suddenly heard that I sounded good while speaking. And I said, oh, this is how I want to sound while I speak. I can sound like this without any effort, without any exercise. I discovered this gong and this gong reminded me of sounding peaceful, sounding calm, sounding regulated. Yeah. And I began to talk out loud with myself and I say, wow, this is how I want to talk. And I'm already doing this on my own. This is interesting. I can do this on my own. And I felt such a relief. I felt such a 
sense of peace, all of a sudden, I knew that this was it. I just knew that I had found something of tremendous value. And because I had heard myself speak, I realized that it had to do with listening to myself while I speak. And I said, ah, okay, well, whatever, you know, you are crazy. You're sitting in your attic and now you're talking out loud with yourself. Big freaking deal, okay? And now you found a gong and you hear the sound, big, who cares? And I said, no, but I care. I hear the difference. I, I feel the difference. I felt the difference. I still feel the difference. Because listening to yourself is like a feedback mechanism, if you will, mm -hmm. where you realize like, wow, so if I speak, that's what I begin to discover. If I speak with a sound, yeah, which is basically the sound of my frustration, my anxiety, my problem, Mm. <laughs> my trouble, you know. <laughs> I don't sound like this at all. <laughs> yeah, I don't sound like this, you know. Yeah. I I sound horrible. So I I I begin to sort of I I went to a friend of mine, a friend who I had a friend who at the time was he, he no longer is, but at the time he was kind of like a junkie and he used lots of drugs and he looked and he drank a lot. And oftentimes he wasn't even willing to see me because he was just so stoned or was so, I don't know, out. <laughs> drunk. And he would just isolate and he would just pretend to not be home. But um, I went to him and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I found this gold. I said, you got to hear this, man. I said, when I hear this gong, I can hear myself. And and I I want to talk with you like that, man. I We can talk like that. We can talk like that. And and he says, well, really? He says, well, what do you mean? I said, no, no. You got to also, you got to listen to yourself. Listen to your own sound. And and really hear your feel, feel what it sounds like when you speak, you know, because mm. you can, you, it's not just only hearing like, yeah, you know, I, I found out actually that the 20% of the sound which we perceive is, is with air conduction going through our ears and 80% and approximately, I do not know how they get these numbers or something, but there was a mention of it in a book that 80% is then bone conduction, which mm. means that you actually hear the sound with your body. So you have to feel the sound basically, right? Well, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people, when they hear themselves in recording, they're like, that's not me. That's exactly <laughs> No, no, no. An audio recording is in that sense also a strange rendition of who you are because you hear, yeah, uh, only the audio part. Mm -hmm. But uh, of course, you also hear how you speak without listening to yourself. So, yep. so. Um, when you would record your sound verbal behavior speech, you would actually really enjoy listening to your own recording, 
which mm-hmm. is kind of the opposite of what happens when you don't speak sound verbal behavior because if you listen to your own noxious verbal behavior on a recording you kind of go like oh i don't want to hear this guy yeah. i don't want to be that person <laughs> you know is that me oh i'm already getting tired of just hearing that yeah but anyway I, I was I was adamant, you know, and I, I went to Locke, and Locke, even though he's a weird guy, he said, well, he says, okay, he says, so I am supposed to not, I'm supposed to listen to myself while you speak, is that what you're saying? I said, yeah, yeah, and, but he was, of course, always making weird remarks and asking all kind of strange questions and saying all kind of distracting things, and so he would just endlessly say weird things and i said no luck you gotta listen to yourself okay and he said well okay hold on a second you tell me to listen to myself but how about you listening to yourself while you tell me to listen to myself and i said man you're right i was not listening to myself and so i went back into my hand and i said i was not listening to myself I wanted him to listen to me, but I was not listening to myself. Mm-hmm. So I began to figure out like, wow. So when I'm not listening to myself, this sound is not anymore there. I sound different. And so in Holland, in Holland as a child, I used to play at apartment buildings where women would hang their clothes on the washing line and below these apartment buildings, below these the apartments, you would always be able to find a couple of these clothespins. Do you see that? Yeah. These clothespins, they use these clothespins to hang the wash on the washing line. We used to we used to collect these clothespins because you can make rattlers uh, for on your bicycle, you know, we would we would use little cans and we put that on our bicycle, some sort of a weird structure, and it would make enormous amount of noise, like with an elastic around it, and then it would just go like, you know, the, 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 the how do you call that? The spokes of your wheel, it would just rattle like, really, <laughs> it was really annoying, nobody liked it, but we as kids really liked that. Yeah. Anyway, I was all of a sudden thinking of these pins, I said, I gotta get myself a couple of these pins here, because, when I do not listen to myself, I do not sound like this, gong. I do not sound resonant. I do not sound, you could say, yeah, this vibration does not continue. Something happens which stops the resonance. And so I decided I got to put some of these pins on this gong. Yeah. And so yeah. I, put, I put three pins on this gong. Okay, do you see three pins? Yeah. And then when you hit the gong, this is what you hear. Quite a bit different. The sound is gone. The sound is gone. The sound is muffled. And so something is changing the sound of the speaker and I had not yet figured out what it was. I just put these pins on the gong and I said, something is changing my sound because every time I want Locke, my friend, to listen, I'm not listening to myself. Ah, so 
the first pin on the gong, you could say, is okay, I was busy with my friend, I was outward oriented, I wanted him to listen to me, but I was not listening to myself. That's one pin on the gong, outward orientation. And as I began thinking about this, I thought, what can the second pin be? It was pure, I don't know, it was not anything predetermined. It was not anything. I just happened to put these three pins on there. I thought three pins is enough, four pins, maybe too many. Three pins should do the job of, 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 of creating this effect, this muffled effect. Yeah, what happened yeah. with the sound? Where did it go? Yeah, there is no sound anymore. This, this is horrible. We are uptight. We are tense. We are stressed. We are frustrated, okay? We are imprisoned, yeah? We are, something is not right. Something is dysregulated, okay? And when we take these pins off the gong, it's very evident. Oh my God. Can we just breathe? Can we just sound good again? Can we just feel good again? Yes, we can. Mm -hmm. If we listen to ourselves while we speak. Yeah. And I took these pins off the bone in my room and I put them back on again. I said, oh my goodness. So I get carried away by trying to change him or wanting other people to understand me and this is an outward orientation and and why do i want to argue so much why do i want to convince them so much why do i want to compete so much for their attention yeah all mm. of that yeah well it is because actually i do not feel so good actually i feel kind of stressed myself mm. i feel kind of tense i feel kind of threatened i feel threatened yeah, I feel on guard. Yeah, mm. do you get that? On guard, on guard, like what's going on? Uh, waiting for the next shoe to drop. Yeah, trying to control my environment. When I hear this, I just go like, oh my goodness, this is sitting with, I'm sitting back. I'm not, I'm, I'm coming to my senses. I, I feel like this is how I want to sound. This is how I like to sound. This is how I can sound if I'm calm, if I'm hearing myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first pin, outward orientation. The second pin, I get carried away by what I say. I said, Locke, listen to me. No, no, you got it all wrong. No, stop all the shenanigans. Stop saying all these weird things. This is just about listening and speaking. You know, of course, I hadn't any understanding of behaviorism back then, okay? So I was totally not aware I was thinking that I was causing my own behavior and that he was causing his own behavior. And so I had no understanding of contingencies of reinforcement and, you know, all that. So I basically said, no, you got to listen to me. And he says, no, no, no. Yeah, but I know what this is. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to say it. And I know you want to say it. And it's, But, you know, I was getting carried away mm -hmm. by what I was saying. Have you heard that saying? Hey, speaker, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. That's a big deal. He, said, he says, I don't like you to be on my case. I don't like you to talk at me, okay? I want you to talk with me. Hmm. And I said, yeah, but you keep making all these remarks. He says, yeah, 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 I know, but you just keep wanting to convince me and you keep talking at me. And then I get carried away by what I'm saying. 
So the second pin is what I call verbal fixation. Verbal fixation. Do you hear that, behaviorist? Verbal fixation. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Getting carried away by the content. It's not what you say, but how you say it. Oh, wow. So if I do not, if I tune into what I feel while I speak, then what I say begins to make sense because of how I say it. Yeah. And my outward orientation, which was based on, yeah, a threatening environment because I was on guard and I was trying to fight with you. <gasps> that is the third pin on the gong. Struggle for attention. Mm -hmm. Struggle for attention. The basis of all our so-called communication. Everybody wants to have the attention. And everybody is competing with each other. For I was competing with my friend Locke. And everybody around the world is competing for each other's attention. Mm. And that is why we sound like this. Do you hear me? Pins on the gong. You sound horrible. You sound demanding. You sound demanding. You hear me? It's horrible. It's not speech. It's you dominate other people. You yeah. push things down their throat. Nobody likes that. I don't like it. Nobody does. So take the pins of the gong. And go to this. Do you hear this? And you hear. Do you hear me? Do you hear how horrible I sounded? I know I can sound like that. I have no problem sounding like that. Everybody can do it. Yeah. But this is different. This sets the stage for an entirely different way of communicating, which we have yet to attend to, which we have yet to explore, which we have yet to begin to acknowledge as something which is the quintessential issue of our time. It's not about politics. It's not about your beliefs. It's not about your theory. It's not about the epistemological barriers. Yeah? It's not about what was written. It is about how we speak, how we sound while we speak. And once we begin to have the conversation in which these pins are off the gong, in which we are not fixating on the verbal, in which we're not struggling for each other's attention, in which we are not outward oriented, but you know, just relaxing and chilling out and feeling like, wow, so we can talk like this. Yes, we can. And this is where the real thing happens. Anyway, I discovered this gong uh, in my mid twenties. I've been carrying this gong with me ever since. And I developed this whole, yeah, you could say generic explanation of what I called at that time um, the language that creates space. The language that creates space. And I, and I also called it listening while you speak. Mm -hmm. um, 
I gave many groups. I experimented with this with people from all walks of life. In Holland, I was actually quite successful also as a seminar leader. And I have given seminars on this issue. I mean, if I look back on it, though, that was in the, in the year uh, before I went to the United States in 1999. So in 1998, I was very successful. I had lots and lots of different clients who came to me to learn about listening while you speak. And I had lots and lots of different seminars all over the place, even in the Dutch government, yeah, where Dutch policymakers would sit with their books and their papers on their laps and they would just listen to themselves while they speak and they would listen to each other while they listen to themselves and they would actually have the conversation about the stuff that they needed to talk about in sound verbal behavior mm. it was an enormous um yeah boost for my uh, yeah you could say confidence or for my uh, discovery um and then upon coming to the United States, I started studying psychology, learned, of course, more about, you know, just clinical psychology. And then as I learned about behaviorism, I began to become aware, like, oh, my goodness, that was actually in 2013. Okay, so it's not so long ago that I realized, like, oh, my God, it has nothing to do with what I do. This, this behavior-causing self does not exist it is the environment stupid and so yeah and then i began to realize like so so you have always been busy with creating the contingency and exploring the environment in which sound verbal behavior can and will happen yeah and and so yeah that put everything sort of uh, in this in this scientific explanation and i've had many wonderful you know you're one of the few behavioral uh, scientists uh, brian uh, i have another friend whose name is also ryan ryan slan who has been willing to explore with me extensively in 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 many conversations what sound verbal behavior is we're still not done uh, oh. analyzing it we're we're having weekly conversations individual conversations which sometimes go on for hours just exploring what this is and and we're now also putting, of course, yeah, the relational frame uh, explanation on it, derived uh, relational responding. And um, it's just beautiful how this has come about. Um, just so you know, <laughs> the pins on the gong, <laughs> that is yeah. called noxious verbal behavior, okay? So you heard it, okay? It's horrible. I know it sounds horrible. I know when I do that, it's just like, do I really have to do that? Yes, I do, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I have an X to grind. You may say that too, okay? So what? I have an X to grind. So what? So what? I let people know that, yes, I have been endlessly rejected for this and ridiculed <laughs> and ignored. And so what? You have to acknowledge that, no, he was right. It means something. It is important. We have not been able to capture this. There's no way to read or write your way into what this is. We need to talk yeah. to be able to have this. And unless we talk, it cannot be had. We haven't had it because we haven't, we haven't accepted yet the distinction that has to be made in, in that vocal verbal behavior, yeah, where our sound is either sound verbal behavior 
or it is noxious verbal behavior. And that noxious verbal behavior is a sound which has evolutionary significance to us because, yeah, you, you may not believe this. There is research. Um, have you ever heard of Buba Kiki? Do you know what that is, Buba Kiki? I have not. Okay, I want, I want to show you something. Hold on. Just a second here. Um, hold on. Here we go. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's just a, a little, it's a little thing here. I have, um, I, I, I want to show you two drawings, okay? Okay. And this, this is, this is a, a drawing from Buba Kiki, okay? I'm definitely going to have to put the video up for this. <laughs> oh, what's that? Well, uh, I uh, usually just upload a podcast, an audio podcast, but I will put up this recorded video as well, so that way people oh, can oh, see okay, these okay. things. Okay. This is really important. <laughs> Do you see these two shapes? So one of them is, is very smooth, uh, and another one is a little bit more jagged, just okay. for the audio, audio okay. listeners. So if I give you these two nonsense words, booba and kiki, which one do you think is Booba and which one is Kiki? Well, uh, I automatically want to assume that Booba is the more rounded one because Booba is very rounded and Kiki yeah. is very sharp, the k, the sounds. And so the more sharp, jagged picture would be a little more Kiki. Yeah. yeah. You, did you know that up to 95 or 97% of the people around the world from different cultures would answer the same thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I've 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 explored a little bit into that. A lot of the the words that we consider curse words have exactly. "ka" and "ch" and yeah. and very guttural sounds I, to them. I will send you later research by or a dissertation by Brian by uh, um, Brendan uh, Yardy uh, from Canada, who has done research on this stuff about cussing. You will love to read that. It's really good. I'm really excited to see it. Oh man. In any case, if I ask you which of these shapes go together with sound verbal behavior and with noxious verbal behavior, what would you say then? I'd say the more smooth one is the one that goes with sound yeah. and noxious is sharper. Yeah. Did you know that of all my classes that I've taught and where I've demonstrated this, and of course, this is not a real experiment, I know, but the bottom line is I show them this, I tell them about sound verbal behavior, and then I ask them the question, unanimous agreement on sound verbal behavior is this one and noxious verbal behavior is this one. So, so what this says is, it just says that there is biological agreement, evolutionary, innate agreement, and it makes total sense because sound verbal behavior has to do with the autonomic response, yeah, in mm -hmm. which we are no longer fighting or fleeing or freezing, yeah? And so, have you heard about polyvagal theory? Does that ring a bell? That does Poly not. Polyvagal, every, every behaviorist ought to also study polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory is the theory by Stefan Porges, yeah? Yeah, I have another explanation here. Do you see this picture here? Do you see this funnel? Mm -hmm. This funnel is divided in three parts. These three parts are just sort of visual representation of our autonomic nervous system, which is an embedded system, according to Porges. This bottom part, this bottom part here, 
is the brain stem yeah mm-hmm. and this lowest part yeah is 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 is, is the brain stem that deals with viral functions and that is called in Porges's conceptualization of the autonomic nerve system. He calls that the immobilization response. This is where we have that in common with other mammals. There is this freeze response, which, by the way, has only recent in recent years been um, uh, acknowledged in trauma treatment. Mm. And all the therapists who are familiar now with Porges's theory find it very useful to refer to this autonomic response because the freeze response is the difference between an organism moving or holding still. And so in the case of imminent threat, yeah, severe abuse, but also life and death situations, we either move or we hold still. When we freeze, it's called involuntary immobilization. Uh-huh. Then that is the least amount of behavioral variability. You can see that, right? It is, it is at the bottom of this funnel, so to speak. Yeah. So involuntary mobilization can also be um, um, where in a conversation where you're just shut up, where you cannot talk where you just yeah you you're afraid to speak you're afraid in our current day and age we experience a lot of freezing going on in our conversation in our so-called conversations because we're afraid that other people may jump on our neck for having an opinion that they disagree with and that they will demonize and therefore you're not allowed to say it or you don't want to say it because you don't want to be punished you don't want to be called names just for having a different opinion than other people But the freeze response is very prominently part of our usual way of talking. Well, let me tell you this. As long as we freeze while we speak, there is no communication going on. There's just placating going on. There's just doing as you're told going on. There's just conformity going on. There's just superficiality going on. There's just... um, yeah, basically distraction going on, but there's no real human interaction going on. And in that sense, there's no learning going on either. Yeah, so all of this is related. So, okay, the lowest part of the autonomic nervous system is called the immobilization response. The second part, as you can see higher up in the phylogenetically embedded system, the second part is called the mobilization response where we begin to either flee or fight Uh fight or flight yeah when we flee um we can uh, escape escape is of course having to do with the immediate uh yeah you could say departure from the aversive stimuli or from the threatening stimuli and avoidance means more a sophisticated approach where you recognize the aversiveness of the stimuli or of the contingency that is aversive and you avoid it altogether. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so you can see also that escape is a more costly behavior than avoidance behavior. Yeah. And it just happened to be so, Oh, this is just so fascinating, Brian. It just happens to be. So, you know, that the first behaviorist who ever actually acknowledged that I was a behaviorist was a Dutch behaviorist hmm. by the name of Bart Bruins. And Bart Bruins from, uh, uh, I think he lived near Utrecht in Holland. He was a student of a Dutch behavior analyst whose name was Beata Bakker Dupree. 
And Beata Bakker Dupree had studied with B.F. Skinner. And Beata Bakker Dupree had developed a new form of therapy, which was actually based on the constructional approach of gold diamond. Have you heard of gold diamond? The name sounds familiar, but I, uh, yeah. I'm really bad with names. <laughs> okay. okay, gold diamond had an ap approach to behavior that is based upon the construction of what already works properly and the broadening of the repertoire of what is already working properly. And so um, that is the constructional approach. Anyways, she was inspired by this constructional approach and she developed what is called the theory of dominant active avoidance. Hmm. And the theory of dominant active avoidance is based on the fact that a client can be taught to actively avoid, yeah, you could say uh, the stimuli uh, that will uh, threaten that person or that will impair that person's performance that will not reinforce their behavior and to recognize all to so to basically read the red flag so to speak of danger signals and to also uh, 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 understand that certain environments are yeah you could say positively reinforcing environments or reinforcement rich environments where this client is more likely to thrive and to basically direct that client into seeking out more of those environments and that then led to improvements in their lives. It turns out that the theory of dominant active avoidance completely dovetails with sound verbal behavior. Hmm. And Bart Browns, he immediately recognized that because I had contact, I had read one of his papers that he had presented at a conference here in the United States and he said, oh, he says, but then that means that you are actually a behaviorist. And he says, wow, that is really interesting. And so we had many conversations with each other. So going back again to this theory of poor guess, yeah, right. the theory of polyvagal theory, right? Polyvagal. That's okay, I know polyvagal. So that's, that, that yeah. one sounds familiar. It has so. to do with the vagal nerve. The vagal nerve, which um. regulates the heart and which regulates the autonomic nervous system. And it has to do with facial expression, yeah, and, and eye-to-eye -eye contact, uh, the movement of the jaws, the production organs of sound, and also the sound itself, the prosody, as they call it, yeah. And so uh, the polyvagal theory teaches us that there is this immobilization response, there's this mobilization response, fight-flight response, and these two mechanisms are, of course, evolutionary speaking, adaptive behaviors uh -huh. that we all have, which are autonomic, implicit, unconscious. We cannot think our way out of it because it just happens to our body. Our body is scanning the environment with our senses, and we just see, notice, hear, feel, oh, there's a threat, and immediately our body reacts. And that's why we have a pit feeling. This is why we have a gut feeling. This is why we just feel something is wrong in this picture. We just don't want to be there. Okay, so these two defense mechanisms, they are evolutionary determined phylo phylogenetic behaviors, basically, right? Yeah. And so he has also what is called social engagement, yeah? Social engagement deals with the whole neocortex, 
the whole neocortex, which is only working properly according to polyvagal theory, when there is no need to flee, fight, or freeze. Can you just imagine that? So there is no need to flee or to fight. There's no danger and there's no, there's no need to freeze. So now we can talk. Yeah. So in, so really a social engagement or verbal behavior, for example, sound verbal behavior requires an aversive free environment. And so, and, yeah. What well, what you're describing uh, it goes alongside some other ideas that I've been exploring and learning about. Um, you described fast brain and slow brain. Um, that is also captured by that construct as yeah. well. So it, we just so, go there. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, just just so listeners know, uh, the idea is that you we have. It, the idea of left brain, light brain has been uh, kind of debunked. There's some truth with, when it comes to language centers, but it's really our, our, our fast thinking, our instinctual thinking, that, that, that reflexive response is our fast brain. And that's where you know, our gut, where our uh, intuition, that all comes from. And our slow brain is that processing, considering it, working it out gradually uh, type thing. And according to Kahneman, right? Yeah. 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 Um, a good construct to, to start with. But once we know about sound verbal behavior, yeah. we actually recognize that the, yeah, when we are talking about these defensive behaviors, we are, of course, talking about the elicitation of negative respondent behaviors. And when we are talking about the absence of these negative respondent behaviors, then we are, of course, talking about the elicitation of positive respondent behaviors. Okay. And so, and that sets the stage for social engagement. And so this issue of slow or fast um, can still be altered. We can talk extremely fast in some people behavior. We can have intensely lively and uh, sparkling conversation. There's no need to go slow. However, we can go slow. Yeah. We can always slow down. And when we feel in any way the wear and tear of the conversation on our nervous system in sound verbal behavior, that we begin to feel tired or that we begin to feel yeah, you know, because we have been plowing along a lot of, I don't know, uh, concepts uh, that could then also, of course, lead to, because you, you see, and this is where sound for behavior becomes so interesting. Whenever we, we start to talk really technically, scientifically, uh, all these different intellectual conceptualizations, we tend to get away carried away by what we say, we tend to not feel anymore that we are experiencing something while we feel. And especially if we're the teacher, then we're just pontificating our knowledge. And especially when we are important and have status that we can do all the talking and others have to listen to us because we are the, yeah, you could say the most important one. We are the authority. Yeah. yeah? Okay. So you can see how this, um, how this fixating on the verbal 
again and again gets us trapped in noxious verbal behavior. And of course, also we are teaching other people, we are imparting this important knowledge, we are busy with these other people, but we are outward oriented. We're not actually in touch with ourselves. And so the real good teacher and um, you know, I, I would like to um, mention uh, here, of course, Skinner himself. Skinner is a very cautious speaker. And, um, 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 you know, have you ever heard of, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Mr. Carr? He is unfortunately no longer alive. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I have his book here. It's a really great guy. Um, wait a second. Edward Carr. Edward Carr. Okay. Yeah, a real gentleman. And uh, um, he, he wrote this book, by the way. Um, it's called, it's called Communication-Based Intervention for Problem Behavior. Yeah, mm. Communication-Based Intervention. A, a must-read, I think, for every behaviorist also. Um, but that is also an approach which, again, completely matches with sound verbal behavior. And when you hear Edward Carr talk, you hear a person having sound verbal behavior. Such a gentleman, such a sweet person, kind person, empathic person, and not some pretentious, I don't know, uh, speaker who is, I don't know, blowing you out of the water with their knowledge. Uh, and anyways, so, so now you have a, a little bit of an understanding that this social engagement, yeah, this social engagement that we are looking at, which is which is the latest um, also development of our of our brain, you know, in evolutionary history, human beings have existed without language, and it is believed that the the, the brain also developed uh, in 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 volume and in its capacity uh, due to the. Yeah, you could say the arrival or, you know, the interaction with the environment where the vocal cords came under control of the, of the environment. And so the, the occurrence of language seems to have gone together with the brain, which then also began to uh, properly, uh, yeah, or no, not properly, but all this, all this, the, the, the neocortex is the latest evolutionary part of our brain. And so what, what the polyvagal theory teaches us that social engagement cannot work if these defensive mechanisms are uh, operating. So, yeah. so what it also means turned around is that social engagement downregulates these evolutionary tendencies to react and to and to freeze. And so, by talking, we can actually begin to co-regulate each other. And that is really at the core of what sound verbal behavior is. Sound verbal behavior is the speech in which speakers and listeners co-regulate each other. And noxious verbal behavior simply is the speech in which we dysregulate each other. And then there is this hierarchy which uh, uh, occurs as a consequence out of that, the social hierarchy that we have known, uh, which then is uh, maintained by that way of talking. And that's why there is noxious verbal behavior in almost every place and very little sound verbal behavior. Although everybody knows about it, we cannot really go there because, yeah, we haven't really fully understood this and fully acknowledged this. But once we, of course, have sound verbal behavior, our hierarchy is going to change in the sense that we're going to have a different structure of society when we're going to, just like, 
you know, if we were to be all really scientific about things, the world look very different. Yeah, we would yeah. not have all these biases. And so also sound verbal behavior is, of course, yeah, essential to addressing and, 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 and uh, 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 preventing our biases. Yeah. 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 Well, and um, so you're, you're, what you're talking about, you, it reminds me of one of my favorite books. I read it as a special ed teacher before I discovered behaviorism to help me improve being a teacher. And this book is called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. It's by Abel Faber and Elaine Meslish. And it, it was published back in the early to mid-80s. And it, it's wonderful. wonderful. And, and, and I, oh, and I, I would love to read it. That sounds really like right along what we're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And um, I, I think about all the people I'm really good friends with where we can have discussions and they can be animated uh, and even sound a little bit angry, uh, but, yeah. but we're both growing together. Like one of my good friends, Michael, um, a, a, another friend heard us talking and she's like, why are you guys mad? And I'm like, we're not mad. We're excited. And, and Michael's like, yeah, we're, 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 we're jiving with each other uh, and, and, and engaging in that communication. So you're describing a phenomena in a way that 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 it, it's it's not new, but describing yeah. it is is no, the thing. Totally, totally, I agree. I totally agree. It and was already to, there. We I'm want not, to replicate it. Uh, it's not, <laughs> yes, exactly. Many people have actually tried to address this and have not quite gotten to it, and we're still having metaphorical references to this, feeling your heart or, you know, getting out of your mind and whatnot. You know, I don't know, all this, all this kind of stuff. We have had multiple accounts of people in, in the literature uh, 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 where people talk about this difference between these two different, you know, these two different ways of talking. However, it requires behaviorism yeah. to be able to acknowledge without any hesitation or, 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 or holding back. This phenomenon, sound behavior, only deals with speaking and listening. Nothing else. Yeah. We just stay busy with talking and listening. And this talking and listening happens simultaneously. And we begin to put together what it is like to listen while we speak. And, yeah, because I know many older behaviors, they know theoretically, theoretically, they know that they're not causing their own behavior. But have they ever considered in a conversation that the speaker is the listener? The listener. Uh, no. And, of course, yeah, what the hell does that mean? The speaker is the listener. Wait a second. Uh, is there a listener who listens? No. Is there a speaker who speaks? No. Can the speaker then be the listener? No. Oh, wait a second. That really, that, 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 that now you're losing, you're losing me. No, there is just speaking behavior and there is listening behavior. Like, and, and when we begin to just hone in on that and have a conversation in which we can just stay with that fact that we're just talking and we're just listening yeah. and we begin to explore in, in some sort of, yeah, you could say um, 
yeah, we can say that this is a communication laboratory where mm -hmm. we where we are the experimental uh, subjects and we are experimenting on ourselves as well as on each other. We are affecting each other and we are affected by each other. And so that effect is a positive effect where positive uh, respondent behaviors we have meaning safe, feeling comfortable, feeling connected, feeling understood, validated, all these things, or negative respondent behavior. Oh, you feel overwhelmed, you feel threatened, you feel annoyed, you feel like, can, the, can this asshole not just stop talking? <laughs> And, and you know, I mean, that's what you think, you know, or you yeah. don't think it, you actually feel it and you think that you think it and then you get carried away by the, by the fact that you, that, you, that you think you're having a thought. Because as far as I'm concerned, and this is another, I don't know, you know, this is another, it's a separate topic, but I'm telling you, there is, of course, no thought. Yeah, there's no thought inside our head. Okay, there's no thoughts, there's no concepts, there's no relational frames in our side or head. There's only something that we say or there's something that we write. And then there's something that we read or there's something that we hear. There's only overt speech. There's no covert stuff going on. There's only neurons firing in your brain and neurotransmitters, that's all. There's no picture in your brain anywhere, all nonsense, yeah? Yeah, they're there's all no constructs to try to explain something we're experiencing. <laughs> But these constructs are all in writing on paper in a book and you read it and you can see it and you have been conditioned to be able to understand that, what we call understanding. But this basically the way you have been affected by your previous history of conditioning. And that's all it is. And you can just call it neural behavior. That's it. That's what Fraley says. Fraley says it is all just neural behavior, neural behavioral constructs that that yeah that we call then okay verbal behavior yeah okay that's wonderful but 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 all it is all overt it is all overt there's nothing here inside <laughs> anyways i i like that a lot because because that change of perspective from this so-called inner stuff I, I did you read the recent magazine of operands do you get I that? haven't I haven't yet no. Okay, though. Well, the recent edition of Operants is all about uh, I don't know private speech and stuff like that. It is I don't know. I find it really sad to see that behaviorists are still busy with private speech. They should not be busy with private speech. They should be busy with public speech. Public speech with with overt speech, sorry. Yeah. Because so, that is where the rubber hits the road. There is no uh, 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 need to go to this private speech. There, we need our attention for our conversation between us, and that is where we begin to really make yeah progress, learning progress, improving, changing behavior. If we want to change behavior, we have the way of talking which brings that behavioral change about. And so, it, what know. I would what I would argue is that what you're proposing when it comes to sound verbal behavior is this could be included not only in verbal operants but it could be included in self management skills. Oh man, at the crux of self management. Yeah. Skinner was an expert in self management. I'm an expert in self management. I only deal with people who want to have sound verbal behavior. And yeah. They can if they don't want to have it. Well, okay, they're not okay. I'm still having it and I will still have it as often as I can. And if I don't, well, then I know that I don't and I don't enjoy that. I don't think, see any purpose in it. I don't see any meaning in it. But, you know, self-management is, of course, creating the environment in yeah. which we can behave effectively. Well, and, and so, I would argue that self-management is effectively us being 
in active part of our environment because what you're describing when yes. it comes to sound verbal behavior is it's saying that not only am I an organism within my environment, but I'm also a part of the environment. And so when I Absolutely. hear myself vibrate, when I'm speaking, when I hear the sound coming through my ears, I'm interacting yes. with the environment. And, and so I would argue that, that, to, to bring it full circle back to what your point was yep, before you it, you is that, that what, what private uh, speech is, is that's also self-management. So I'd say they're, they're yeah. kitty corner and they're related yeah. and we need to connect the circle. So that way we're, we're aware of how we sound when we speak to ourselves and yeah. when we speak to others. And even though that sound may not be here, Maybe we're imagining constructing sound in our brain when we hear ourselves speak to ourselves, which are actually is a portion of the population that doesn't have that internal voice, but it's a small portion, but it's there um, that regardless of whether it's occurring silently within our own brain or when we're speaking to ourselves, mm -hmm. that we're listening to what we're saying and hearing. Yeah. And that's where the relational frame component comes in is we're making those connections and, and trying to, use them to self-manage. Um, it's one of the reasons why I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, the child of relational fame theory um, act because that's about discrete skills you can learn to self-manage. It's not about, um, it, even though the name has therapy in it, it's less about therapy and it's more about skills. It's about, I hear myself. I acknowledge that I hear myself. I'm examining and I'm, and I'm, and I'm moving towards a value and one of those values that, that seems pretty universal with humanity is connection, is communication. It, it's, it's pretty consistent and universal. And um, so a, a perfect example of this, I'm very extroverted. Uh, I, I love communicating with people. I get energized by talking with people. It's so great. Um, and I have a, a, a coworker and friend who is very introverted. And um, when he's alone, he is alone. And that is wonderful. And I accept that and, and, and it's wonderful. But anytime we engage with each other, we get, we get caught in this beautiful behavior trap of talking with each other and, and he gets energized and I get energized. And it's, 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 the, it's the quintessential example of sound verbal behavior yeah. of, of it's we're listening to each other and it's not a competition over who has the best idea or who is listening to who it's, and we can interrupt each other and it's, and we're very willing to, to uh, accept that part of it because it, it creates, it, it builds, it, it makes, um, it, it firms that connection between both us and it improves both of us. So that's why, that's why I like to make that, that I guess I, I just came to that connection now that that sound verbal behavior is a self-management tool and it's also a verbal tool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or a verbal behavior. We talk. We talk. Yes. We are not, yeah. we're not singing. We're not humming. We're talking. And yeah, well, you know, I, I have, of course, uh, uh, you are one of the very few people that were willing to talk with me, but I have also talked with other people who have well, helped us changes this, <laughs> who are, who, or who are familiar with the RFT. And um, it has been my understanding from them and from talking with them and also from what I've read and heard that although these techniques and these skills can be uh, taught in the sense that ACT presents them or that uh, RFT presents them, still 
this specific attention for listening to ourselves while we speak and the kind of focus that goes with this um yeah with sound verbal behavior where where we really hone in on just listening and just speaking is not often um yeah you could say embodied mm-hmm. uh, in spite of the fact that we are yeah supposedly trying that or or trying wanting that and um, it kind of goes along with what we've said before. Many people have tried to approach this, but they have not yet gone into the exploration of how our speech changes when we pay attention to our sound. So the yeah. content of our speech emerges from how we sound. And so, as long as we're in this noxious verbal behavior, yeah, it comes out of our, yeah, you could say negative respondent behaviors, what we're saying. But the moment that we really go deeper into sound verbal behavior, so to speak, we realize that things are now possible to be said, which we're not, we were not able to say those things before. And so, and it is because this tension that hangs with, yeah, being so focused on these previous constructs that we already know is kind of uh, dissolved because, yeah, sound verbal behavior, as we know, has not to do with being too busy with what we're saying, also has not to do with convincing each other. And so we may hit on a couple of these points, but all together so that it really sort of just uh, uh, begins to become clear that um, yeah that that there is this really different sound that we have and um, um, yeah uh, I, 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 I still think that in spite of the fact that there is there's good uh, results to be had of course with act and with with rft i still think that much better results would even be achieved if that was informed also by sound verbal behavior that's that's well and and that's the nature of science is we're always seeking to improve yeah and and that's why at the beginning of this this recording i i said that you're you're following in the footsteps of those giants that came before. We have to ask these questions. We have to explore. Yeah. And then perhaps down the road, someone will improve even on the, the idea that you've created, but okay. the okay. point, and that's, would, that's what science like is. Happen, you know, and, and, and I am not also, uh, this is also why I, I like to explain this a little bit to people who are hearing this because I, I insist on this conversation. Yeah. I insist on, on the ability to sit with just this listening and this speaking because there's no use i although i write a lot about it we're not going to read or write our way into this we are really going to have to have this conversation so that first of all and this is uh, this something we have not touched upon and we may just briefly uh, go into this um of course, when we are talking about sound verbal behavior, we are talking about a behavior which is self-stimulatory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hear my own voice, 
and yes, I like to hear my own voice. Why? It's not because I'm so great or something, or just because I'm so important. No, because I feel my own relaxation. I feel my own well-being. And so when my voice is actually allowing me to go into, yeah, just really feeling calm and really feeling good and really feeling like in the moment also, uh, then, yeah, then I like to talk like this. That, that, that's, that's what I started out with the whole explanation with this gong. When I heard that gong, mm-hmm. I said, oh, it sounds like that, right? Okay, so, so, okay, I can still sound like this. Yes, I can still, because I can also get revved up. Anybody can get revved up. Yeah. So now I, I can hear myself. I can stimulate myself. So it's automatic reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. Automatic reinforcement where, where just like somebody playing the guitar, they, they don't play the guitar because somebody tells them, you need to play more guitar. No, you like to play the guitar. You like to strum the strings mm-hmm. and hear the sound. And feel the feel vibration. The instrument to your body. And in the same way, you also hear your sound and you feel like, wow. Wow, that feels so good. That just feels so nice. And, and even, even to, to the point that you say, like, can it be this good? Can it be this good? Is this for real? This is too good to be true. It really is, you know? And so, and, 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 and it can even, yeah, you, you, you can go, you can go as far in it as you want to go. And you can, so I can put my own words. It's all self-stimulatory behavior. Do you get that? Mm-hmm. And it isn't until this way of talking that you can have with yourself alone and explore with yourself alone. It isn't until this way of talking occurs with somebody else that this behavior is reinforced. Yeah, can be reinforced. And so that has not happened. That reinforcement for that self-stimulatory behavior is not, hasn't, so, so, so sound verbal behavior is simultaneously automatic reinforcement and 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 social reinforcement yeah and then it could also be escape well not escape sorry that would be the opposite that'd be noxious but it could also be access as well yes because yes yeah yeah. so well you know it could also be escape you could be escaping noxious verbal behavior yes and and initially initially sound verbal behavior is of course also the escape of noxious verbal behavior no Mm -hmm. no 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 uh, uh yeah, we don't need to be mysterious about that. You, you once you notice the difference between soundful behavior and noxious behavior, you say, "What is this noxious behavior? Why should we go on with that? That is just horrible." Yeah, and so you want to move away from that. You want to escape from that, and and so initially, it is inevitable that your motivation for soundful behavior is still based on on negative reinforcement. Yeah. Um, however, as you have the social reinforcement, the positive reinforcement for sound verbal behavior, yeah, like we do in this conversation, you now realize, no, we are not at this point anymore escaping noxious verbal behavior, yeah? We are now exploring sound verbal behavior, and, and that is where it blooms. That's where mm-hmm. our freedom is, 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 is just 
yeah, exponentially uh, uh, opening up to us. And, and, and with that, I mean access to other reinforcers and, and considering that this is a gigantic behavioral cusp that, 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 that makes us tremendously happy because it, it will bring us in contact with everything we want and we are capable of and which will make us happy. And so, so you, you can't get any better than that, you know. And when you have relationships that are based on that, then these relationships support that, and you're just and your life is just good because, uh, yeah, you're 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 just doing what you're supposed to. Do. And and that does not mean that you will be forever busy with only sound food behavior. Maybe you I don't know make music or you do your research or whatever it is that you are interested in doing. Yeah, I tremendously enjoyed this conversation. Thank and you. From my history, I, I, I am not this person to publish that paper or to go through that whole rigmarole, you know, uh, or to write that book. Forget about that book. Why would I write a book? I want to have this conversation. And so, and so to me, this is sufficient. And to me, I just stick with that. And this is also where, yeah, where for me, the, 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 that process is happening at its best. And so, um, although, of course, you could say, and I'm okay with that, you could do sound verbal behavior cooking, or sound verbal behavior gardening, or you can do sound verbal behavior walking. Of course, you can do any, because basically, and this is another aspect of sound verbal behavior, it makes us conscious. And so it makes us conscious about anything we do, and everything we do will we'll have that attending response uh, 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 connected with it so you will be doing whatever it is that you are doing consciously and to the extent that you don't you will suffer you will realize like oh my goodness why was i doing this or this is stupid this is i am just not really with it and and you begin to actually acknowledge your own stupidity and your own mechanicalness and your own what is it you know your own uh stuck yeah your own pattern <laughs> And uh, and sound verbal behavior. Oh, this is another. Just just just. I I, I just like to brag a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, sound well, behavior takes us out of our behavioral history of conditioning. Of course. Yeah. How can it be otherwise? It just does that. And well, so, and yeah. I, I one of my big arguments um, for the way forward with behavior analysis is we needed to use trauma informed behavior analysis, and the reason why is because. Um, to use the terms you've introduced today, we're stuck in noxious behavior, noxious, noxious verbal behavior when the way we treat clients, mm -hmm. and we need to move to a sound verbal behavior approach, Absolutely. which is a trauma-informed approach, Absolutely. because it's an inclusion, it's a participation. I have a client who is non-vocal. Mm -hmm. He does not speak except to say a few things to get people's attention, yeah. but... Um, the breakthrough, the big breakthrough for him, because there were a lot of um, very socially significant behaviors that were dangerous that were happening. Um, the breakthrough was when myself and other staff that were working with him engaged him fully. When we were listening to how we were speaking and he was hearing us and We've, we've moved from the point where it's, it's been just requesting 
or uh, you know, manding in in behavior analyst yeah, speech. We've moved from that to now he is he is communicating with us. He's sharing his likes and his wants. He's he's telling us about his day and he's and he's not using spoken language he's yeah. using sign language yes. he's point gestures pointing things out but he's fully engaged and and, and, and we're fully engaged yeah. right and when we speak to him we're listening to how we speak and when he speaks to us he's learning how to listen how he speaks in his own language and there was a you know, right. but just, just quickly, quickly and, and, and you can cut me off too, you know, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can talk simultaneously, it doesn't matter. No, no, I just want you to know that once we have this soundable behavior down, we will also see tremendous application of this, of course, in the treatment of people. Yeah, well, not just treatment, though. Also, in education, education uh, in, yeah. in 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 our families and communication. Um, I could mm -hmm. see this being a, a breakthrough in how um, family, like if a spouses are having problems with each other, this mm -hmm. could be a breakthrough in how oh, we yeah. treat each other. And mm -hmm. it's it's not not to the exclusion of all the other things that we've discovered and learned. It's yeah. to the inclusion. It's Absolutely. the it's that that building on the foundation that that has previously been made, and that is that is the the defining factor in science is that we're building, we're continuing the next step and we're understanding how our environment affects us and how we affect our, affect our environment. And then we discover how we are a part of the environment and that we are our own environment. And it, it just builds and builds and, and grows to the point that instead of it being um, a fight, instead of it being a competition of ideas, it's a, a continuation and a growth and will there be from from a, a strictly combative approach if you approach it from strictly combative will there be winners and losers of course because that's a combative approach but if we approach it from the 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 idea of how do we grow together how do we and and that's that's actually a foundational saying it's a mantra i say for myself we grow together i don't think of myself in competition with other people mm -hmm. i see myself in cooperation with other people mm -hmm. like i want to improve myself i always want to be improving and i want to if the other person's willing that's the important part if the other person's willing, I want to be there to help them improve too. But if a other person is not willing, then instead of getting in this fight where I have to be in combative with them, instead of being stuck in the noxious cycle, I decide that it's not worth it to continue to com combat and to fight. And so I am improving in my skill of stepping away and instead seeking out the sound verbal environments. So, so, so that would then be again along the line of this dominant active avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. where, where one uh, yeah, will step away, so to speak, from these threatening uh, stimuli or threatening environments and, and one will then find wow so this is possible and you will find also the people to grow with and you will yeah you will then also dedicate all your energy effectively to this process and you become effective in it because yeah you are now managing your own life better in this way because if that other process is co-occurring and you're still yes you could say losing energy in that way or something then 
yeah, then you are, you are, you are, yeah, you are actually undermining in a sense yourself. And, um, uh, and, and so to sort of just stop that and to just only go on with that, which really works. And, you know, you, you just remind me of one, one last thing, uh, or one last thing. I do not know. I, I we have talked for three hours. <laughs> we do need to wrap up soon. <laughs> no, 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 just one last thing. So, so, uh, just something that I would like to also express, um, when we are considering the scientific uh, validation, if you will, of what this is, and we realize, okay, um, there is, of course, um, a reason why we would have sound verbal behavior or noxious verbal behavior. And when we, would, when we are thinking about this or talking about this and and, and coming to terms with the fact that that's just how it is. Under certain circumstances, we are not able to have this. And under other circumstances, we are able to have this and we will have this because it is possible. Once that has been established, it's very evident. And we as scientists, yeah, as scientific uh, uh, people, because we are scientific people, we ought to be able to acknowledge as scientists, and, and I'm not just only talking about you and me, but I'm talking about every scientist. Mm. Every scientist ought to be able to accept that sound verbal behavior is the scientific way of talking. And without sound verbal behavior, our way of talking with each other is just hopelessly biased. Yeah? And we cannot continue with pretending that it is not important because what what that has led to is that we are only emphasizing the importance of what is printed and 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 and, and we are overemphasizing the importance of yeah what we read what we read and what we study and and what is you know we agreed upon in peer review and all that kind of stuff but, but, but what that does and what that has done and what that still is doing is that we have completely, completely ignored human interaction. And it's, it's a really academic myth that we can read our way into and study our way and write our way into better human relations. And it's just a total myth. It, and, and, and it is based on the fact that there can only be scientific writing. No, we need to have scientific speaking, scientific education, scientific teaching, scientific parenting, if you will, where, where, where one is effective. And yeah, you can call it, of course, scientific, but you can also just say, no, this is how you are effective. This is how you do it right. And this is how you get outcomes which you want to achieve. And if you don't want these bad outcomes, then you shouldn't be causing them. And we are causing all kinds of behaviors, which if we ever get to it, because chances are that we never get to it, but there, we are causing many behaviors to happen, which, which are nothing but trouble. <laughs> and, and so then we get into... Oh no, um, do we have a buffer issue? Maximus, can you hear, Maximus, can you hear me? 
and again engaging in noxious verbal behavior. I'm for a second there. There we got we lost a bit. I lost connection. Could you oh. uh, repeat uh, about thirty seconds back? On oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> so so I was saying that there is a whole. Uh, there are many different kind of behaviors which we oh. have inadvertently supported and reinforced with our noxious verbal behavior. And so, so it isn't until we come into ongoing sound verbal behavior, which is not just an haphazard yeah, accidental event. No, it is a deliberate, uh, skillful, uh, knowledgeable action. Uh, then we will realize like, oh my goodness, we have been causing so many problem behaviors which all need to be decreased and yeah. which should have never been caused in the first place and yet all these behaviors have emerged yeah in the name of education child raising uh, in the name of uh, uh, culture also it's just tragic and yeah. and so so once we once we have the ongoing sound from behavior we have scientific speech scientific speech which will say like wait a second we cannot have that way of talking anymore. We got to control that noxious verbal behavior way of talking because every time we go into this, we are basically pushing our way onto somebody else. Just like what you were describing with, these, with your client, um, when we do that, whether it's with our client, with our student, with our significant other, it doesn't matter with whom we do it we get outcomes which which are going to backfire to us because it's all just coerced it is all and and we know from behaviorism that the history of coercion and all this punitive learning oh my goodness we are only learning to avoid uh, punishment uh, it's just tragic that we are not learning because we love to learn we, well and, and Are you still there? Yeah, I am. Sorry, it, it had another small buffer issue, but um, oh. I, I will say I will say this: um, every single teacher that I've had that I loved learning from engaged in what, upon reflection, what you describe as sound verbal behavior, and every single teacher that I had that I hated to be with. I hated their classes and I'll tell you why right now my learning level was not nearly as good because it was aversion. There was a lot of aversiveness. Um, every single one of them engaged in what appeared to be sound, uh, sorry, noxious verbal behavior. It was not a pleasure to be spending time with them. They were what would be described uh, colloquially as, um, uh, as bad teachers, as bad professors, as bad, you know, whatever. And, um, the a, a a characteristic of science is that it needs to be replicable and since you and i talked what was it almost a year ago now the first time we spoke um and communicated about these ideas i have been testing and seeing if i can replicate this and i've told other people about this idea and they've been testing and replicating it and that's that's the sound that's the foundation of science is we got to replicate this. And does that mean that there's no place for research and for papers and for textbooks? No, there's definitely a place for it. There, there is. But Everybody has my full support. You know, <laughs> if you want to publish a paper about this, I, I will talk with you and tell you everything I know. You know? And, 
it would be wonderful to see a paper emerging from that and, and to, to have a, a written rendition of this. And, you know, and I'm on my Facebook, you know, all my writing is there available for everybody to take, you know, you, you just do whatever you want with it. And this podcast is an open source podcast, which means yeah. that everything in this podcast is usable for that exact same purpose. Um, and, and, and that's the thing is we, we got to test it. We got to see if we can replicate this and let's, uh, to, to bring that full circle back to what you were just saying, we got to keep the humanity in it. That's what, that's what trauma informed, uh, behavior analysis is, which I would argue that trauma formed behavior analysis is actually the, the, uh, consistent application of behavior analysis. So it's a little bit redundant, but unfortunately behavior analysis has lost its way a little bit because there is um, noxious ver verbal behavior. There's application of, of non-evidence based practices because um, it, it, because we got into a habit of doing it. There's um, faulty assumptions about phylogeny versus ontogeny when it comes to certain behaviors. And those are, those are all unscientific. They're, they're not founded in science. They're not founded in us uh, researching and discovering. And, and they're also not founded in humanity. We need to be human. Before anything else, I, I actually introduced myself recently to um, a, a group that started called uh, Mindful Behavior. It's uh, being organized into a nonprofit, and I'm starting a podcast called Act Natural that's relating to mindful behavior and, and, and towards helping us connect with each other better. And when I introduced myself, and the reason I was invited to this group was because I'm an autistic BCBA. Um, I'm an autistic behaviorist, and so I was invited because they wanted to make sure that there was some representation of both uh, behaviorism and uh, the autistic community, although I am not 100% representative of the community. But when I introduced myself, I introduced myself as saying, Brian is human. Brian is a human who happens to be autistic. Because first and foremost, I'm human, and I want to connect with other humans. Now, and I will connect with other human, humans the way they want to be connected with. Um, because the golden rule is crap. Uh, bear with me. I, I may have offended somebody here. The golden rule is crap because it's not due unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's due to others as they want to be done to. That's the platinum rule. Mm -hmm. We need to do to others as they want to be done. What's the to, essence of shaping also yeah, what you're saying? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so we that that's that's one of the reasons why sound verbal behavior resonates so well yeah. and in my opinion and i feel like it's it's an idea that needs to be heard and explored and understood better and let's figure it out let's see how it how it relates to all these other ideas let's see how it connects and you know even if there was maybe a faulty assumption along the way, which I'm not saying there is because I am by no means an expert, but it, even if there was a faulty assumption along the way, let's discover it and let's oh, yeah. be sound in our verbality as we communicate with each other and let's figure out a way to alter the paradigm because right now in September of 2020, noxious verbal behavior is the default. Oh my goodness, no. Like and we're so busy talking past each other and yelling at each other and, and doing that, that screeching that we do at each other that we're missing the point. Right. Which is that we're I human. Just, I just want to praise you, man. You are, you, anyone who hears you ought to be able to feel what you're saying. 
Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> you are, you are. I feel my heart when you know. I, I know this kind of like a, you know, like non-behavioristic way to refer to this, but I, I have a friend in the Netherlands who talks like that, and I feel my heart when I speak with you and when I hear you say what you just said, and I, I feel really happy with, you know, also, you know, I have now, uh, in just recent days, I've had a couple of really beautiful long conversations with people and also in this conversation and i want to let the listener be aware of this we in our conversation have created a space a, a, a new state of being that is now available to us that is now yeah you could say radiating out to those people that are hearing what this is as we have yeah described a whole bunch of stuff about what this is how this works and um you know this this peacefulness and this uh yeah what you describe as humanity um to me is also silence hmm. and it's also uh um yeah you could say what happens after we stop speaking <laughs> and uh um and maybe we can sort of leave it there for uh, this conversation because um, we we can feel that the silence or the yeah you could say the a, a feeling of of presence and really calm being mm. is now possible yeah because of this conversation and so we can acquire that we can continue that we can live like that and as brian is just saying you know i mean we're living in such uh, contentious times this is really as i've said before the issue of our time we have not yet discovered the difference between sound verbal behavior and auxiliary behavior there needs to be a broader understanding of this among more people there needs to be institutional approval of this construct so that many people can come aboard with this idea and begin to emulate that in their way of teaching, in their way of dealing with students, in their way of dealing with children, in their in their lives, in their relationships. And then, and then yeah, we can change the world. We, we really can. We can change our society. We can change... We can decrease the behaviors which are undesirable, and we will. We will it, it will be quite self-evident which which those behaviors are that we will all agree on. That no, we cannot continue with that yeah. because this is this is so yeah self-evident. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very very much, man. It is thank really you. a pleasure talking with you, and I I'm really happy that we have sort of landed on this. Uh, yeah, you could say grounded feeling where, you know, because I, I know, you know, I get also revved up, you know, of course I do, and I am excited that I can have this conversation. But right now, you know, to leave it here and to hopefully also in the, t I still would like to talk more with you in the future. Of course. And I'd love to be able to eventually, yeah. once all this craziness gets over yeah. with COVID, be yeah. able to sit down and, and, and share some food with you and talk because, awesome. ooh, that primary reinforcer food is fantastic to, oh, yeah. to stimulate sound verbal behavior. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, all, 
I'm all for it. And we have a couple of big wings with it as well. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Beverage of your choice. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. So, hey. um, Maximus, yeah. if yeah. somebody wants to reach out to you to yeah. continue this conversation, because yeah. folks, you are a part of this conversation now, but if you want to keep talking with Maximus, yeah. Maximus, how do they reach you? Oh, you can always reach me by Facebook. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, it's called Sound Verbal Behavior or you can reach me on Sound Verbal Behavior Academy, or you can also just Facebook me on my name, Maximus Peppercamp. Um, I'm, I'm available on all these things. And you can also uh, go to the, um, uh, what is there again? I, I also have a, a, with some Norwegian people, a Facebook page, which is called Walden3. I, I also post my stuff there too, you know. Um, because that is the community that we're trying to create, right? <laughs> Walden 3. Keep it, because Walden 2 is a wonderful book, by the way. If you haven't read it, I definitely recommend yes. was it. It was the first book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, no, I look forward to connecting with anybody who wants to explore this. And, and if, I don't know, just give one last remark. I know that I can also be um, having, having hurt feelings about things, okay? Um, so if for whatever reason I've rejected you in the past, it doesn't mean that I will reject you again, okay? Because at some point I'm also sick and tired of trying and I just say, well, the hell with it, you know? I'm not gonna, so you don't wanna talk with me, then, then fine, you know? But um, I've been trying to reach people and people may have found me bothersome or they, I don't know, whatever their idea was. They do not really realize what I'm trying to achieve, um, but this is what we're trying to achieve, yeah? yeah. And, and, uh, and if you're interested in this, I'm still willing to talk with you and we can put behind whatever, I don't know, what was misunderstood because there's a lot misunderstood because of noxious fuel behavior. And, and I'm not a saint, okay? I don't claim sainthood. I'm not into any of that. So, we all do it. We're, we all make mistakes. It's okay. <laughs> We're scientists, not saints. <laughs> yes. Yes. But uh, no, no, everybody's welcome, you know? And I look forward to, uh, to actually joining forces i really do i really do look forward to joining forces with people because this is where this uh phenomenon that we're talking about uh takes on yeah yeah takes on a a, a, a new uh face and um, and it is already actually doing this i mean there, there is already in my classes that i teach and the people that i'm talking with it is it is already rolling along really nicely Wonderful. and uh, but i can uh, i can see it just getting bigger and bigger and bigger <laughs> and that's the hope is, is roll out that change yeah. roll and out with that, that oh, oh by the way oh just one last thing just one last one, thing <laughs> this, this is where i okay zip it up no there's one more thing I, I, I sincerely think that the dissemination of behavioral science and science at all, as a whole will be advanced by sound verbal behavior. I sincerely think that. And, I can see and that. you just, yeah, if you have listened carefully to what this is, you will agree with me that, that yeah, learning about behaviorism and needs to be done with sound verbal behavior because to the extent that it is happening with Knoxville, what about, I mean, Come on. We're talking about positive reinforcement. Where's the positive? I want yeah. some positive. <laughs>
enforcement. Give it to me. No, no, no. <laughs> now I'm demanding. Now I'm demanding. Ah, you don't get it. You don't. You want it too bad. Yeah. No, but really, you know, if you start punishing me, I don't want it. Okay, that's my uh, yeah. And so yeah. I'm very easily. Uh, I'm I'm hyper alert to anything. Anybody who's punishing me, forget it. You know, you don't. <laughs> for me so anyways um yeah you know and we all need to learn how to how to get better at not being so punitive yeah i yeah. I, 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 I i teach to my students i wrote on the board and you will see it on my facebook page it says i, st I stand in front in, in front of the board and it says be your own non-punitive audience <laughs> <laughs> that's excellent i like that well, with that, um, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Um, folks, just remember that uh, Obehave, and uh, I might just also publish this on the Act Natural podcast as well. We'll see. Um, both are open source education materials, um, which means you are allowed to use, reuse, duplicate, transcribe, all that with these resources because we want to continue education and make it accessible. Um, the one and only requirement that we have is you cite your source. Um, so please be sure to cite your source uh, and utilize that towards improving and and uh, growing together. Thank you so much, Maximus, for coming on um, and, and communicating with us. And and I um, hope this congratulations also with your BCBA diploma. Hey, you, thank you, you. <laughs> for you also. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, we'll go ahead and end it here, folks. Thank you again for joining us, and have a wonderful day. So nice talking with you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.